you, 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 you give us a hard time for being white, being American, and being in control. I did more for our black population than anybody other than Abraham Lincoln, okay? And nobody's even close. If you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump, and you ain't black, it's our God, Jesus Christ, has turned the tables on you. Amen. Victory. I hear a sound of an abundance of rain. I hear a sound of victory. The Lord says it is done. I bet he can't wait to go home and be, become a black man again. This is Profane Faith. Dan, you know, I'm going to let you finish, but uh, I'm taking over the podcast. This is Tamisha Tyler, if you didn't catch my voice. I am super excited to just do this Operation Takeover when I heard from my good friend here that it has been 10 years, a whole decade, from the soul of hip hop's publication. I said, you know, maybe it's a good idea if I just come and uh, interview you for this monumental occasion. And so here we are, I have taken over. He has given me full reins. I don't know if he's gonna regret it after the next 10 minutes, but <laughs> I am gonna have a lot of fun. So my friend, my brother, how are you doing? Wow, this is excellent. I'm I'm doing very well. It's great uh, great to have you at the helm here. This is, this is awesome. <laughs> how does it feel to be on the other side? Yeah, of your own podcast. Of my own podcast. I know this is this is this is great. And I, you know, I've I've always wanted a some some kind of a, a co-host anyway. So this is perfect. Woo, 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 woo. Yeah, you know, it's been <laughs> you know, it's really interesting to like just think about not just the work you are doing in scholarship, but just this media work, like this work of podcasting, this work of giving platform. Um, to folks like me and other people who are who are brilliant, who are doing some really interesting and cool things. So I think first and foremost, we should say thank you for creating this space. Um, I think mm. this is just such a generative, live, beautiful space. And I think that we need to give people their flowers now. So I'm giving you your flowers, not actually, because I don't have any, but you know, <laughs> figuratively, you know, I'm giving you your flowers. So I just like to start off and say 10 years, 10 years since you put pen to paper about something that has been a whole life journey, right? Mm. Just about your relationship with, you know, hip hop and the way in which it has changed your theology. Now I'm, I'm from Long Beach, so <laughs> I know the importance of the, such a beautiful craft. I grew up, you know, I always tell people I'm a neo soul girl, but I was raised in a cipher. I grew up with, you know, just on. people on the east side of Long Beach. Shout out. Um, just trying to figure out how to master that craft. And that was their whole life. Like my brother would be, you know, he would lock himself in the bathroom and read the dictionary so he can understand like his own craft. You wow. Know? So wow. I have, you know, I grew up with it. And so I'm, I'm curious to know about just the beginnings for you. Oh, Mercy. As it related to like, how did hip hop nurture you and nurture this, 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 um, these questions or these these knowings in you as it related to your theology and your your spirituality? Wow, um, that is a great question, and and thank you so much. I will accept gladly accept the flowers. I will I will <laughs> take them. Um, yeah, no, thank you. I, I appreciate that. It's a great question. This is this is great. That's why I, I, I wanted to have you on. This is this is awesome. Um, I would say, yeah, I mean, I think hip hop was like a, it, it, you know, anytime you have somebody who creates something that you can then identify with and say, yes, that's it. You know, I, I give them the credit for, you know, for being those pioneers. And um, I think that hip-hop was that because it provided an identity it provided a, a a sense of belonging like i i can fit 
there are other people who look like me and are expressing themselves uh, in such a way that I can relate to. And so early on, hip hop was that for me. It was that space for me. And um, I know y'all can't see this, but my cat right now is coming all up on me and stuff. So it's hard to be like all, uh, <laughs> you can't be hard and, and anything when you have a black cat, black grizzly here with me. Um, but you know, it provided that space and, 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 it, and it gave me a different understanding of creativity, how to use music, which I've been just uh, my whole life been around, right? My, my mother played, uh, piano. Um, you know, my grandmother, she, you know, she had some stuff with drums and percussion. So I, you know, I was always surrounded with some aspect of music. And so to, to be able to hear somebody talking over a beat and, 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 and expressing themselves that was a space for me to again connect and that was a big thing for me growing up as we were just talking right in a small rural community where i was the only black kid right and i'm being told the only expressive forms are what you see on mtv um right and 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 you know this was right when mtv was starting and i always tell folks this is back when mtv was you know still just showing nothing but videos you know, now they like show a video, you know, every four months and stuff. Right. Um, right. And, you know, that was it was like I remember growing up where I was at, you know, it was Kixie FM was the was the main radio station hub and they rarely paid anything black. I had to get my understanding of black music from my mom who, you know, had connections with the SOS band, the Commodores, um, Ray Charles. Right. And so that was my introduction to black music. But again, we're still hearing it in traditional form melody singing big breakdowns whereas rap was like oh man this is speaking to my soul so that's mm -hmm. kind of the genesis of a lot of that if that makes sense yeah no, no 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 that's that makes perfect sense the understanding of like you know every generation i feel has a way in which you know there's a language of the soul and so to hear something like hip-hop and go oh that's me like 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 some of this stuff like i get that i understand but like when you hear yeah like sometimes you're like oh no this is this is everything um i'm interested because you took this experience and you really decided to go out and find other people who had the same experience hmm. so for those who haven't read souls of hip-hop can you talk a little bit about um, what the book is about. I know it's it's mainly conducted of, of interviews, of young people, of looking at those intersections. It's only spanning like a certain amount of years. So mm -hmm. like like the early 2000s, what, 2003 to yeah. 8 or 2003 to 7 or something like that. Yeah, yeah. So tell me a little bit about um, the crux of the research. Like what, what what were you hoping for in terms of in terms of that? That's a great question, and I know you uh, as a now. Are you doctor yet? Are you soon to be doctor, right? I, I'm, I'm I'm dissertating. Okay, so I'm uh, stressed out <laughs> candidate. That's, that's, oh, I think that's the level right before doctor. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, well, and even through it until I I didn't even feel a relief until I was like walking across the stage and and hugging Mal. <laughs> I was like, I'm done. Oh my gosh! But yes, the I I. I Identified early on in, in my academic experience that I knew I wanted to, to be a qualitative researcher and really be able to engage, listen to people, engage with what is being said. And that takes nothing away from quantitative, even though quantitative folks always want to talk shit about, you know, qualitative to research. Right. Um, but I, I knew I wanted to kind of dig in a little bit more we knew numbers we knew about statistics in the hood and the ghetto and black folk and educations but what was really going on how did that speak to that so a lot of the research began was really the research i had to cut out from my dissertation uh you know as you know in the dissertation my committee was just like you gotta hone it in it's, it's too big it's your research you're gonna be here for the next 10 years you know like get done the best dissertation is a done dissertation, right? right. Um, so I was like, well, I can't throw this material out. And so thankfully, uh, there was an outlet. At the time, you know, this was right around the, the, the time of the emergent church, which is really led by a lot of white folks. And 
uh, you know, you got 50 books by white guys talking about the emergent church and postmodernism and everything. And I was like, well, that's cool. And I spent my master's thesis looking at postmodern philosophy. I was just like, but it really doesn't connect with the black experience. I mean, most of those texts don't even mention the civil rights movement. You talk about disruption and, and you know, shifting right. narratives. You don't even right. include the civil rights movement. Um, so I was like, I, I, I knew I wanted to include that material and I knew I wanted to you know, be able to, to, to nuance that um, in such a way that hadn't been done before. There was only a few books that had been out. I think in 2005, Ephraim Smith and Phil Jackson released the, released the Hip Hop Church, which was really kind of a, a way of introducing people to what you know a hip hop church could be. Um, prior to that, you had Noise and Spirit. Anthony Penn is a reader that he puts out looking at the sensibilities and spiritualities, which was amazing. That you know blew my world. Um, and I remember trying to find different publishers and people just looking at me like, why, 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 why you want to put a book out on hip hop and religion? That doesn't even go together. Like, what, what are you talking about? And I, I remember approaching one publisher and they were like, well, the market's saturated. We have the Ephraim and Phil Jackson book. No one's going to buy this book. And I was like, wait, you, you got all these white guys talking about the emerging church, but in the market saturated, but y'all just keep putting these books out. So right. I struggled trying to find just the positionality to get that published right and 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 to get the, just to get that voice heard um very long story short you know i was at a um a a conference which was where a lot of book deals happen and um i was able to connect with the publisher from ivy press and uh you know pitched him the the uh, the idea and he was like i think we can do this i think we can do this and so yes it's interviews from young people asking about their experience in hip-hop how do they connect not just with hip-hop but theology spirituality i also knew i wanted to tell the story and explain what a hip-hop theology was i knew i wanted to put that somewhere in a text so that it could be kind of a staple and so um and then you know the ending of the book really kind of points towards right uh uh, uh, uh what this could look like worked out um and so that's kind of the breakdown of the book. It's 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 really telling that story, kind of capturing the history of hip hop from my perspective, having lived it, um, and and gone through some of the, the the beginnings of hip hop. Now, granted, at the time, I you know I wasn't living in the Bronx, and um, but I was around in in L.A. and and in the Bay Area to know enough about West Coast hip hop um, that these things were humble beginnings, and and, and hip hop has a soul. It has a a a, a heartbeat that I felt not a lot of people knew about. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that that, you know, excellent. Thank you for that. I think that it is such um, brilliant and beautiful and necessary work. Uh, just being even from my perspective in Long Beach, I saw a lot of that soul, right? I saw a lot of the, the deep conversations, you know, a lot of my friends were having about religion who were also heavily involved in, in making music and, and in hip hop. And that was just the way that they expressed that. So uh, absolutely necessary. I'm wondering um, a couple of things. What was your most, what was one thing that you found in your research and in these interviews that was the most surprising to you, if you can remember? I think at the time, since I was still trying to figure out if I was evangelical or not and what the, all that meant. I think at the time was really seeing how small venues um, provided a space for God to show up, if you will, right? And in, and in many different forms and, and talking with folks, much like I was, you know, really connecting with people who told me about, right, in my, my dissertation research, Tupac was their counselor, was their therapist, was their, you know, saved their life, if you will, because they wanted to commit suicide, but they were listening to his music and whatnot. Um, and at the time, I remember Common and most deaf were doing this thing on Twitter where if you followed them, they would give you a venue and a space where you could show up and they would just give like a dirty concert, right? They would just, you would just, if you knew how to follow them and keep up with the stuff, you could show up, get a free concert, um, and it would be great. And so I tried to follow a few people around um, during that time and just kind of record their experience and just hearing people's expression to the art, to 
to um, to the numinous, right? I mean, to the to the that which is felt, but not, you can't really put it into words, right? There's something that happens with music, and again, a small venue. Because prior to that, I'd been to like right these large venues where you have thousands of people, and that's great in and of itself. But there's something that happens in a small 500 square foot space where you're connecting with uh, an artist that people feel good about. Um, and of course, I mean, I'm not a neurologist. I would love to know what's happening in, in the brain uh, because the way people expressed it was like, man, I feel like I'm in a different place. I feel like all my problems melt away. Now, prior to that, I had only heard this from people who were artists, people who were able to get i don't know if you've seen um you probably have what was it the the disney movie the soul is it is it is yeah, that what yeah, it's yeah. called in the zone yeah in the zone right you in that zone you in that you know that space i'd only heard it from artists like that but to hear this from somebody who is really a third person a participant of hearing that i was like wow that's that's something that's that's unique that's something that you know grab definitely grabbed my attention yeah yeah no that's super dope it kind of um i do have a few friends too and then um psychology and, and, and thinking through as it relates to neuroscience and and this is a, a big point of research for them to think through the ways that people are experiencing um art that people are experiencing you know spaces that they deem to be um whether they talk about it in the same language of being in a zone or like being transcendent or being incredibly connected, right? To like both the people and the music or whatever it is that they're experiencing, what happens in the brain. Right. So I'm really curious to to see you further your research in that. That's the nerd in me. Um, yes. <laughs> but I think that, you know, one of the things that's really interesting and that you said is like the expectation that like, the hearing of like only artists and only the people who produce the work being able to get into that space and wondering how like something like hip hop like as it resonates mm -hmm. it continues to be like an invitation or a, a an opening and to into the same kind of space like yeah do you think that the artists are almost inviting other people into the zone <sighs> with them as they are creating yes yes and that was something else that stood out right it's like there, that's a resounding yes. It's like there's an invitation, which I feel like gets lost in commercial hip hop, right? I feel like, you know, there's a sense of let me just give you the best so you can just pay me and let me just get let me just get on. These particular artists, and it wasn't just common. I mean, there was other underground artists um, who were performing. The, they, you're right. That's a great way of, of putting it. There was an invitation to join me in this. Let's mm -hmm. talk about this. Let's let's be together in in this sense. And that's you know really where I was able to derive you know a different subset of the elements of hip hop, right? You know the culture of hip hop, and part of that is connecting to spirituality in community. Right, right. No, that's dope. I just I had a question. I just forgot it because I got caught up in like what you're saying <laughs> about this. Happens experience. all the time. Um. No. Okay. So. You talk about hip hop theology and you wanted to create um, a way for us to understand the connecting points between hip hop and theology. And some of the ways in which you start to talk about it is you talk about how people feel like it's almost an, it's an oxymoron, right? Like these two things just don't go together. What for you personally, two questions. What were you for you personally was that connecting point to realize that, you know, mm. The music that you were listening to that was so resonant to you reached the depths of you understanding God, right? And the way in which you think about your spirituality. And did you find resonance between your own understanding of that with the people that you connected to and that you interviewed? Well, yeah, I mean, to your last question, absolutely. I think there was a sense that this is a continuum right this this there is a continuum that is happening within hip-hop culture and it wasn't so much about the music it was the art it was the fashion it was the language it was yeah. yes the you know i mean and now right weed is legal i mean this was also part of it which was you know kind of a lot of that got left out of the book right because people were like oh my god we don't want to talk about weed and spirituality and finding a higher sense of god you know through drugs but 
let's just be real, right? I mean, it's like there's there is a sense that <laughs> something happens, right, with with that connection and and being in that space that it's a continuum. And so as I talk with people on the West Coast, Midwest, the South, East Coast, and even people internationally from the from the islands, there was this sense that man, this music is really life. Um and you know i you know i've spent the better part of the last 10 years trying to figure out you know part of what that life is because i do believe that there's something holy in that i think i feel do believe that there's something spiritual in that and for us as black folk especially it has gotten us through some really hard times as i've expanded my own history of hip-hop and looking at the elements of the culture the sub-elements of the culture you know you can take all those things right back all the way to seventh and sixth century africa which is what I try to introduce students to in my classes um, to let them know that hip hop's been around for a long time. That was another discovery for me that I that I wasn't really aware of. Um, a few years, uh, actually, a year after I started writing this, I started teaching at LA Mission College, and um, they uh, they needed an African American uh, professor to teach African American history, and so I was able to teach African American history. It was two classes. Uh, one from 1600 to 1860 and then the other one from 1860 all the way up to the presidency of, of uh, President Obama. Um, and in that, as I was doing my own research for those classes, I was just I was blown away by just, again, learning of how God showed up in times of desperation and times of of death, you know, and nefarious settings and music was there and that expressive form and Cornel West and John Michael Spencer talk about this, right? And kind of the spirituality and the blues make some connections. I wanted to kind of take that a step further and really make that connection with, you know, right? A theology of suffering within, within hip hop, theology of community within hip hop. Um, so yes to that last question. What was the first question again? Cause I want to make sure I answer that. Cause that was, that was that last part that you asked was definitely present and even, and I'll say this, I'll say this, in 2007, I was fortunate enough to go and teach, fortunate or just lucky enough in the right place there. <laughs> I was, I taught a study abroad for Vanguard University and uh, the professor had backed out. Something had happened last minute. <laughs> they were stuck. They were stuck with me because I applied and I remember <laughs> there was somebody in the interview committee who was all these questions, but you know, they were there. It's like, look, we stuck. We need a professor to teach this study abroad course. So I was able to go out um, you know, to Europe and pretty much it was everything paid for. I, I think I only had to come out of pocket a couple hundred dollars, um, to, you know, for the, for the entire trip. I was there a whole month. And, um, one of the places I visited was Paris. Now I don't speak French. Um, but, and I've told the story again, you know, we connected over NWA, Tupac Amaro Shakur, uh, 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 BDP, uh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Snoop Dogg, um, public enemy. And for like eight hours, right, we're fellowshipping. And I was like, this is something bigger than just, again, music and chart topping hits. And for me, right. that was so much about the culture that started it. You went to seek out those rappers that you wanted to connect with. There was no Twitter. There was no social media. This is what a, a lot of the younger generation doesn't get. It was all word of mouth, all word of mouth. Ray Ray told you something over here with Junior over here telling you, oh man, we, okay, we got to go down to this record store. It was Pops Records for us. Pops Records had all the black music, right? Because right. it wasn't at Warehouse. It wasn't at, you know, Good Sam Goody. It wasn't in none of them places. It You had to seek that out. And that was, for me, it was connecting with that that element that it, again if that makes sense and, and i don't know if i would know if i answered the first part of your question no no, no 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 it does it makes sense you answered it enough i think there there is this this kind of you know it's interesting how much we push back and i'm, I'm talking particularly as it relates to um a lot of the generation before us and particularly a lot of the people who are folk in the church now against this type of expression, especially initially, right? As a way in which people were connecting. And this goes directly into not just a lot of, uh, some of what you talk about in the book, but you know, the nature of this whole podcast, right? And the space in the role of the profane and the space in the role of like language and what you call even like, you know, the hostility of the gospel, right? Like we are so busy wanting to paint this particular type of picture about religion and I think hip hop and hip hop culture 
kind of like breaks that wide open unapologetically. Mm. And I, I talk to me a little bit about um, the role of the profane, mm. the freedom within understanding that role mm. and the way that it played out both in the book and actually in, in, in this project that we're on right now. Mm, I like that question. You got you got great question. This is great. Uh, I love it. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I think you know early on when I was because that you know that the the sacred secular profane, uh, at least that kind of triune was I I was able to grab that and resonate with that out of John Michael Spencer's early work, um, and then just kind of transcend that and put that in, which is what you know we do as scholars. We look and see something, we build and and try to you know take it to the next level, right? Um, I think early on, I was still trying to like subset the secular and the profane, but to highlight, right, the sacred. And I think the initial was in the soul of hip hop where I was trying to reconcile all three. Like, where do we find God in all three areas? Um, and you know, we're always in a process. I definitely can see it now, but that's because of the work of, 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 you know how it is, right? When you're doing the, the research, the research speaks for itself. I think that was right. part of what I was taught in, 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 um, doing my, my PhD is like, allow the research to speak and speak to you. Um, and that was part of it. That was, was speaking to me like, no, this, you can't separate all three, you know, and then beginning to see the profane within you know the sacred scriptures themselves and being able to like see where these things showed up and manifested themselves and when we think about secular a lot of people just think oh well that's just devoid of god i think part of that is just the the, the you know really the the sociological definition of just the mundane and everyday um i gotta go wash clothes it's it, it has to be done we gotta clean the house right it's like i got before i got on it's like i had to wrangle these pets they leave hair everywhere. I gotta, I gotta go. So where do you find God in me vacuuming the floors, right? And just in that day to day can seem really mundane. And I know I'll speak for myself. So much of spirituality was wrapped up in just church, and it was on the weekend or maybe Wednesday, um, you know, maybe Friday night. You go to vespers or whatever. Um, and, but I felt like the sacred, secular, and profane provided a framework to find God in spaces every day of the week and allow God to communicate in that. So with that profane faith, the podcast was really a space to unpack those questions, a, a space to 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 sit with dissent, right? <laughs> to sit yeah. with the tension of I don't know, I don't I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Uh, rather than trying to explain it away, um, because I do feel like there's a lot of that. And I think the more, even in the introduction, right, I say, you know, we won't be answering questions. It's like we'll be asking better ones um, and not providing answers, but, you know, to sit with some of those. And that's really what I wanted profane. And in a lot of sense, that is profanity because so much of Western evangelicalism, I feel, has sought to answer questions. And, yeah. you know, I got to prove God is right. Right, it's like I, I every time I drive out to to my daughter's barn, she rides horses, and I love that she has a passion. But golly, such a white sport, right? You know, what I'm saying? So <laughs> I gotta I gotta leave the city and, and go into the suburbs, right? And so there's all these posters that say, you know, Christ or death. You know, what I'm saying it's like there's proof, proof for life, proof of God, and I'm like, ah, oh. so much of that is is just again for me the profane is, is sitting in that that unproof and in in what faith really looks like outside of that is that is that kind of get to that a little bit it does it actually dovetails beautifully into my next question because i'm thinking about um i don't know about you or the listeners but i i've had that one moment where you really start to get quote unquote serious about church and you gotta like get rid of all of your uh old music <laughs> your old quote unquote secular music and right. i felt like you know i felt bad like you know i mean i didn't throw away everything i still kept you know if i'm being real my Bilal, uh 
his first album, Firstborn Second. I would still listen to that every day. <laughs> um, <laughs> there you but, go. Like, I think that there was this moment of like removing yourself from the secular world, like protecting your sacred, you know, Jesus ears. Yeah. And, you know, moving into only listening to gospel music and only listening to music that quote unquote uplifted you. And this brought personally me into a lot of Christian hip hop, right? Yeah. Um, basically, like, if you like this person in the quote unquote secular world, then you'll love this Christianized, you know, all about Jesus version. It's the same kind of beats, but we changed the words around a little bit so you can feel better about going to heaven. Right. So talk to me a little bit about the role of Christian hip hop as it relates to a lot of what you say about um, the beauty of, I love how you say the unproof, like being in the profane, mm. like sitting in the unproof of God, right? Talk to me a little bit about the role of Christian hip hop as it relates to that. Man. All right. Um, <laughs> he's like, damn, I just, okay. I yeah. The notes. <laughs> <laughs> um okay well i mean yes i think there there's definitely a significant you know presence for that i i at least where i'm at now i tend to look at quote-unquote christian music much broader than i did you know 10 years ago right 10 years ago i you know i had the categories of uh, it's fred hammond or it's commissioned or you know what whatever right you know the winans or whatever um, and I and, and and that's not knocking any of that stuff. That all that material has a space. I mean, I think, especially in the nostalgia, right? What like I love commissions, early albums because they speak to me because I was listening to them at a certain time and it you know reminds me of certain places. I'm like, okay, there's 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 something like that. I I can't say that I ever really truly got into Christian rap. I think. One of the best artists that I wish I could have heard more from was BBJ. Um, and he, I think, dropped an album in 2000. And I had really never heard much from him after that. And a lot of reason was because, you know, the label he was on at the time just didn't understand how to market, right, to non-Christian audiences. And the Christian audiences didn't get what he was saying. So it just kind of like, right. so... But he was, for me, like, I was like, okay, this, this cat's talking about something well beyond what I would have called now. I would definitely wouldn't say that then, but I'd say it now, like colonized Christianity, where we're just talking about salvation and we're just kind of going over and over and over. But I get that that's, it's like the wine coolers, right? It's like, okay, there's not hard liquor. We're not, we're not busting out the brown single barrel, you know, <laughs> bourbon, but we can do a little wine cooler. We can do some hard mics, right? We can do some hard mics lemonade. Right. And I, you know, I was still at that point writing the solo hip. I was still trying to kind of reconcile all of that. Um, and I think in that text, I was still trying to, you know, make references to, you know, folks like Lecrae and, 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 and whatnot. I think that, and this was long before my own wokeness, right. To, you know, sexual orientation and, and, uh, you know, the whole me too movement and just better understanding what does it mean to be present in a lot of different spaces rather than just the racial one. Um, and uh, you know, for me, it was, there, there's a space and a, and a place for that. I, I think I would call Tupac Christian music, but not in the traditional sense, not the, oh, you know, oh, we rest a high on God, you know, like, you know, none of that, but that in the, it, right. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Oh my gosh. Um, but you know, it's it's dealing with the sensibilities, right? Of Jesus, truth to power. Um, you know, pointing to the on high, talking about the issues of the day. You know, the narratives that Jesus talked about. Um, you know, the the parables that he talked about, right? And I think you know, rappers are are good MCs are are working through a lot of that 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 stuff as well. So yes, we need that. And I think you know, as music. Everybody on the planet loves music. I mean, there's not a, a, a human soul that doesn't love some form of music. So that speaks to, again, the power of that and what it has its presence. So I think that everyone's got to find their way. Um, 
in regards to how they look at music. And I think, you know, with Christianity, there's always been this tension, at least in the last 60, 70 years, um, long before I've been alive, um, that the world is out there and that's the world's music. Um, you know, you think you can look back at, you know, books from the 50s, even the 40s, you know, looking at people like Elvis, you know, he was controversial, right? He was very controversial. Rock and roll, the Beatles, talking about they bigger than Jesus, right? We wouldn't even blink an eyelash at stuff like that right now. Um, and, you know, hip hop deals with things that Christians don't deal well with, like sex. You know, how, you know, what does that look like? How do we, you know, and of course there's, you know, paternalism and, and patriarchy and, and misogyny and all that, but there's also that in the church as well, right? Um, and so it's looking at those narratives and, and, and being able to say, okay, well, let me distinguish this in the sense that I'm just, I'm, I'm going to listen to stuff that I feel is uplifting is, is also like you talked about Neo soul. It's like, man, I, I can, you know, connect with that in a such a way that helps me fill in the blank, write, think, feel better about the day. Right. Um, all those things I think are important. Um, so for me, my, it's, it's my definition of, christian music or christian thought is much more expansive than it was when i wrote even when i wrote this text yeah yeah it's i have to ask this question because i mean i just have to ask this question come on top five artists <laughs> i knew it oh <laughs> man um well obviously i i'd be remiss if i didn't say tupac i think tupac was and these are no in no particular order. This is right. this. Please don't hear those of you listening. Like, oh, you put this one in number five and number th no, no, no. Don't look. It's not. It just. It's just who's coming to my mind. Tupac and Tupac wasn't as gifted in terms of lyricism as somebody like Biggie. Like I like Biggie because I mean that brother. I mean you listen to his stuff. It is amazing. And and the brother only put out what like what two three albums. I mean Tupac has. <laughs> countless amounts of albums um but I, I but i definitely resonate with those two artists so biggie and tupac um i love lauren hill i i i wish that the miseducation of lauren hill would have had a part two to that and i know she's tried to you know there's a whole bunch of stuff surrounding that but i have to include lauren hill uh in this um because that album is there's something special and a lot of people reference that even in my interviews they were referencing the miseducation of lauren hill that album for me helped me figure out relationships helped me feel better about a breakup and this and there's so much that went into that um that you just you cannot overlook that um and i'm torn because it's like man i loved missy elliott i also loved mc light uh yeah. and just her hard mc lights particular just hardcore I'm giving this, this is from the East Coast. I remember seeing her in concert in, in 92. I was a, I was a high school senior and, and we, you know, we did grad night and then she was one of the artists performing at, at Disneyland, Disneyland. Um, and I was just, I was like, oh, I was so in love. I had such a crush on MC Light, man. Um, you know, and I think female MCs are amazing, but they have so very little right push because everything's usually focused on just the men. Right. Um, I, you know, and I can't overlook, um, people like Rakim as well as, you know, in, in the, in the work that he did, um, uh, it, it, again, just phenomenal, phenomenal. And the way they put beats, what I liked about early East coast music, it was that the beats were really a footnote and it was really heavy on lyricism. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, because you can't overlook what was happening in, in the West coast where it's just like when Dr. Dre, Warren G these cats put together the g-funk era there was a melodic sense to the genre that really hadn't been heard before um and I, I still referenced the chronic album i mean that was like formational i mean when i first heard that i was like oh my gosh again dr dre is he the best lyricist Nah, not really but man he, that nigga know how to put some music together shoot um yeah <laughs> right, right, right. shit you know um so I think, you know, I can't overlook that. I love early Snoop because Snoop was, I mean, when I first saw, heard him on um, Deep Cover, you know, the soundtrack to the to that movie, which if you haven't seen Deep Cover, you need to go out it's and see it. 
Shout out to Lawrence Fishman. There it is. There it is, man. <laughs> you know, and that beat that just dropped, that doo 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 doo. And, you know, and he comes out. Yes. And he's spitting. Now, he had no stage presence. Like, you see the video. The brother's looking all down in the corner, speaking away from the microphone and everything. Um, but Snoop was an amazing lyricist. Amazing, amazing, amazing. So I would say those are, I know that's more than five, but <laughs> those are the forms of folks who I find foundational. Um, you know, in, in just, I'm always in awe of people who can put music like that together. I, in my mind, I wish I could do that. Uh, which is why I write, because I'm just like, I'll just, I'll stick to writing. <laughs> right, right, right. Now, your, uh, your work in, in this, in this book ends at about 2007, 2008. So we're like, we're a good amount of years from, yeah. from that research. Yeah. Like, <laughs> where do you think we are now? Because I think that we have gone from this sense of, of like you say about, you know, people going to, you know, the most deaf and I, most deaf is one of mine. One of my oh, yes. Yes. Do, uh, not, not any of his songs, but like just, it was just him on a big ass stage. Like, I don't know what is it was, UCLA or something. He was just sitting there smoking and reading poetry. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Oh my God. Anyway. What I miss about LA. So I say that to say, like, we have gone from this space of, like, you know, people word of mouth in this deep community going to, like, you know, small venue, storefront kind of, like, engagement, right? And this this really of, of noting this experience in these spaces, right, and the ways in which the church has ebbed and flowed with that all the way to now where we got people, you know, redoing, you know, we gonna be all right and, like, engaging in all right. of these different ways both as it relates to their faith there's this there's this uh parent uh how can i say um merging or or bleeding into right in the way in which this generation right now is trying to kind of like work through both their faith and their love for hip-hop it's also commercially commercially you know more acceptable right so, so where do you feel like we're going now? What do you feel like? Where do you feel like we are? Mm. Wow, um, another great question. I mean, I think, I mean, I think there was, you know, a lot of hope in, you know, folks like Kendrick um, and uh, you know J Cole, which there still is. Um, I, I think that, you know. Um, I, I, I really love Benny the Butcher um, and you know the work that you know that 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 he's putting out. I think, uh, you know, Jay Dilla, same thing. But I, I also think it I think hip hop is 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 right now so much of the commercialization of it, which is, you know, really the face of it right now. Right. That is the face of hip hop, especially with this young generation. It's like right. last last semester I had a student who was crediting Nelly and nothing to take away from Nelly, but he's crediting Nelly with a major contribution to hip hop. Like, you know, if it wasn't for Nelly, hip hop wouldn't be where it's at right now. And I'm like, um, well, you're leaving out about 30 years of, of history, bruh. But he had no recollection of some of these groups, right? It's like when you get, I forget who was it, Katy Perry a few years ago was doing the, the Super Bowl and, you know, she had Missy Elliott out and people were, you know, tweeting like, Huh, who's that new artist with I'm like nigga they ain't no damn new artist shit wow. if anything Katy Perry owes what she's doing to Missy Elliott so there's this sense of amnesia that happens because of what has been put out as hip-hop every city now has a, a, a radio station right this is where hip-hop lives you know 106 point num 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 you know and it's like well I, I'm not knocking anybody getting paid, right? When, when I when I wrote the next book, uh, Hip Hop's Hostile Gospel, you know, I had a chance to actually talk with artists, and one of them was uh, Jadakiss, and you know, I, I asked him. Sorry. No, absolutely, and that's and that was just it, right? Again, it's what I miss about living in LA. I I, I love <laughs> Chicago, but it's what I miss about living in LA because everybody's got to come through LA. I don't care who you are, <laughs> you got to come through LA. Um. You know, he was just like, you know, look, you can talk about misogynistic lyric all you want. He's just like, and for for him, it was like, I'm able to pay for my mom's house. I'm able to pay for my cousin to go to college. I'm able, we have my kids that are now old money, you know, and like, so there was this sense of financial gain over the art. 
Um, and back, of course, as we were talking about when hip hop first started, it was all about the art and all about the experience. And so, and I can't knock the finances because it's like I tell everybody, look, I don't work at the place I work at because I'm volunteering. <laughs> Shit, you know what I'm saying? I don't. I didn't just show and be like, oh yeah, I'll just volunteer my time here and teach these right. classes and you know put up with white supremacy and I'll just volunteer. You don't have to pay me. It's okay. No hell no. Nah. These lights are on, the airways were on, they're all on because somebody's paying the bills. So I get that. I just, I wish in a capitalist society that we wouldn't put so much emphasis on that, that it overtakes the essence of what the art and the people are, the soul. And I feel like there's a struggle for the soul of hip hop right now. What are we going to do? Because who is it? Um... Aries Spears the other day went on Hip Hop DX and I posted it to my Instagram and he's talking about like, look, no disrespect to anybody, but all y'all niggas sound the same way. It's like, he's like, it's the same thing, the same beat, the same melody, the same cadence. I've been saying this shit for years and I'm just like, it, you were knocked. I remember when cube showed up to i forget this club it was in south central it was a poetry coffee space it was like 89 um 90 right before he dropped um america's most wanted and he was booed off stage this is a lot but a lot of people don't know he was booed off stage because they were like you have not found your voice yet cube like I, we, you've been with ice cube too long you need to figure out who ice cube is right you know what i'm saying and now yeah. it's like if you sound like the next person, you're applauded. And that for me as an artist, as somebody who, you know, has grown up around this, I'm like, okay, we, I think we got to take a step back, but I don't know what to say because it's like the Jay-Z's of the hip hop industry are very far and in between, um, you know, who own masters and own their things and all that. So it's like, no, these cats are on per diem and they're essentially slaves for whatever the record company just put up, you know, the money that they just put up for them. Um, most of them are in debt. David Banner is, you know, living proof of that. You know, he had to wait, what was it, from 2005 to about 2012, 11, you know, to finally start doing the shit he wanted to do. Um, you know, but he had to pay out of his contract, right? So a lot of these cats are stuck in there. Where are we going? I hope bigger and better things. Um, I continue to listen to a lot of underground hip hop stuff that doesn't make the radio. I listen to the radio stuff simply because I want to keep up. I can't always say that I vibe with everything and that's not to knock anybody's artist, but it's difficult to tell the difference between the baby and, you know, in any one of the, the, the Lil's, you know, Lil Wayne, Lil Baby, Lil, you know, it's just like, man. So that's, that's part of it. But I also get that people are streaming this stuff right now, which begs the bigger question is what is our audience's taste for music and tolerance for music? That is an excellent question. I think that this is a this is part two. Yeah, we can't. We may have to end here because of time. I got you. End here because of conversation. Because I'm this, with you. I think, is going to be so important to the ways in which we think about art forms that were um, speaking truth to power. That were creating resonance in, in the story of um, you know people in cities that were just a time where people can feel seen and be in community. And I think that a lot of the ways in which it has fallen into um, this capitalistic system has not diminished it, but it's changed the game, right? And so I think we need to have more conversation about this. So as you know, in the world of hip hop that after the show is after party. So yes. if you want to join us on uh, the 24th, we are going to be on Facebook Live. Yes. It's going to be uh, my good friend Dan and myself. And we're hoping that some of our friends can drop by to really talk about where we are right now and where the soul of hip hop is right now in this moment. So if you're not following uh, Dan Hodge, I'm pretty sure you are because you're listening to the podcast. But if you are not and you stumbled upon this, go ahead and uh, check out the website, check out all of his social and um, follow him and what he's doing. You can also follow uh, me at Tamish Tyler. You can look me up. You can also look up Art, Religion and Culture because we will be um, supporting and posting this and it's going to be held on our um, our social media, on our Facebook, this live event. So we look forward to hearing from you. Connect with us. Send us messages. Let us know what you think. Let us know what you think about where the soul of hip hop is right now. Dan, this has been 
an honor to be back on the Profane Faith uh, platform once again. Thank you for letting me take the reins and ask you all of my many questions. And let's we should do this more often. I'm just saying. I'm saying as well. I appreciate it. Thank you for taking the time. These were amazing questions and ditto to everything uh, Sister Tamisha just said uh, as well. I'll put all these in, in, in the show links as well. Dope. All right, y'all. Y'all have a... Uh, Okay. Yes. Hey fam, hope y'all enjoyed that episode there with uh, my good friend and colleague, Sister Tamisha. Um, but listen, the conversation doesn't have to end. It's hard to believe it's been 10 years of the soul of hip-hop and engaging with a theology and a religion around hip-hop culture. But the conversation doesn't have to end, folks. In fact, I know you heard some dates on the podcast. Unfortunately, this was recorded a few months back and we were planning a live uh, session uh, for that week, but it's actually been rescheduled. So if you're listening to this in real time, I realize if you listen to this two years later, this is this is uh, this will probably be passed, but it will be linked, okay, in the show notes over at whitehodgepodcast.com. And so this Wednesday, May 26th, in the year of our Lord 2021, we will be live from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Central Time. Uh, and if you follow us on Twitter, which I highly recommend you do, um, you can just get updates there and grab a link and uh, come check out the conversation. It'll be a fun time. We'll be hanging out. We'd love to see you there again, Wednesday, May 26, 2021, uh, from 6 to 8 p.m. Central Time. Uh, we will continue this discussion uh, in connection with the ARC uh, uh, religion and culture and pop culture. We've uh, advertised with them before. We've had a lot of folks on there from that community, uh, and I'm just excited to continue this conversation with my good friend, Tamisha. So check it out. Follow us on Twitter, and I'll see you there this Wednesday. Peace. Peace.